Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week we're sponsored by Harbro, manufacturers and suppliers of quality livestock nutrition. Delighted to have on the call this week Gregor Ingram from the well-known Logie Derno flock in Aberdeenshire. Gregor's a very busy guy and just back from the Great Yorkshire show. Welcome to the podcast, Gregor. How did it go? Thank you very much, Andy. Um, it went well. It's the first time we've exhibited at the show and we're showing Charlie sheep. Um, we're restricted slightly on entries because it was such a big entry at the show, but we got a, a first and two seconds. Um, so, yeah, chuffed a bit. Good. And that follows on from a good uh, a good show at the Royal Highland Showcase uh, recently where you pretty much cleaned up with the, with the Charlies there. Yeah, um, the Highland, we went one step further. Yeah, we got the champion in reserve in the in the British Charlie Sheep, and then we went on to win the, the individual uh, MV accredited interbreed and the interbreed pairs. So it was, uh, it was as good as it could have been, yeah. That was right. I was there to witness that and commentate on it. Let's just start with uh, with the beginnings, really. Your dad, Willie Ingram, yeah, we've all known Willie for a long time, but Willie started with Charlie Sheep at a very young age, I think. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, well, I've actually I've had a chat with Dad, um, and he said the his original stock basically, basically said that Jonathan's father, uh, Jonathan Barber's father, would have been among you know the, or the first to take in Charlie Sheep, but Dad's entry would have been a year or two later, um, and it was actually a uh, Jim Neal who is Charlie's now. His father went across to France and picked sheep from some for some people, and Dad had six a. Uh, U lambs purchased plus a ram lamb, so that was direct from France, and it was a it was Jim Neal's dad that went and, and picked them out for, for a couple of guys at home that that you know had put in orders, and he and he went and got them and picked them out. You could have worse people picking sheep for you than the Neal family, that's for sure. And exactly, yeah. The Logie Dono Charlie flock went on to be the flock to beat, and uh, you guys are still there some forty years later. A hell of an achievement. And uh, how's how have they changed over the years? Uh, have you seen pictures of the early sheep? Uh, your Charolais would have changed to this modern-day Charolais. Yeah, well, well, I chatted to Dad about it, to, you know, to find out exactly what the original sheep were, and and obviously I've got my experience in my, I suppose, you know, twenty years now that I'd remember the stock, you know, and how they've how they've changed. Uh, he said they were a totally different breed, really, when they originally came in. He said that their their wool was very tight to the point where it was peeling around the neck and and you know around the legs. Um, he said that they would have been completely hairless, really on the head. I suppose a bit like, you know, what we'd we would see in a modern day British Rouge. Um and he said that they would have been a lot smaller and probably not more meaty than they are now, but just proportionally um they were they were kind of this very high uh, meat to bone ratio, a bit shorter and smaller. So so the ones now are would be fully, you know, almost like a rib longer and, and bigger, taller, more powerful sheep, uh, more robust, I think was one of the things that Dad really said was the difference was that, you know, built built to stand the the rain and the wind here a bit as opposed to, you know, the, the south of France kind of, uh, you know, um, climate. I, I do know exactly, and you probably know I live in the south of France and it's been raining here for the last two weeks when you guys are basking in sunshine, so it's not, not always the case, but I hear what you're saying, a little bit more hair on the head will make them a bit hardier for the, for the Scottish winters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a family affair, isn't it? Your mum, Carol's involved, and your brother, Bruce, and uh, I know you've got a lot of stock there, but tell me sort of who does what round about the place? Well, so basically the, the partners in the business are mum and dad and my brother and I, uh, so Bruce and me and, and mum and dad. Uh, and roughly, you know, dad's the boss. Nobody nobody, nobody argues with him. <laughs> uh, 
the the, the modern business that's developed at Logie Dirt Sheep, which is which is ultimately really a commercial ram business. I I would do all the marketing, um, or a lot of the marketing anyway. I, and you know quite a lot of the dealing with the customers. Um, Bruce would deal with a lot of the the tactical decisions, and also you know I, I suppose him and Dad together deal with a lot of the management of the you know putting in forage crops for for looking to winter a lot of sheep and. Um, you know, that kind of side of things. So we, we all have our individual talents and, and, you know, what we feel comfortable with and we do doing. Sounds great. That's the way to, to divvy it up uh, between you. And and back then, the show ring was the shop window and Logie Derner would have scooped up a huge amount of silverware in the Charolais breed. What what are the big, biggest successes there? You've had a few interbreeds around about the time, haven't you? Yeah, well, I think we've had, uh, you know, some phenomenal achievements. I think, you know, it probably depends what date and time they came that, that, that mean the most. Um, a couple of my... The ones that probably hit me hardest were the first time that we won the interbreed at the Highland Show because you know I was a I was born and bred on the Royal Highland Show and and you know right from the playing football in the rings you know in the evenings with with a lot of the young uh, with, with a lot of the stockmen that you see now that are that are doing very well we were all kids together and I suppose the first time that we the one the interbreed was with a ram called I'm Your Man um, and that uh, that felt big it was a huge achievement. Um, in, ter- in terms of like, I suppose like the biggest achievements, it was probably one of the years of the Royal Welsh Show. We won the interbreed uh, individual pair and group of three, as well as I think at the time Campion and Reserve in our own breed. So that was kind of, it was about as much as you could win. And also the way the Royal Welsh Show set up, they've got each individual interbreed competition is on a different day and they split between native and and continental breeds so it's 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 almost like a, if, if you do well it's almost a week of being in the ring so yeah. it's it's quite emotional if you know what i mean and it a when when three different judges who are who are people that are very well regarded in the industry and and most definitely not charlie people you know and not really affiliated to any breed picked us it was it was it was a huge it was the first time it had been done in hundreds of years of the show so it was I mean, the Royal Welsh is the biggest sheep show in the world, or it certainly claims to be. It's a, a we won the yeah. there with the Blue Domain going back in the nineties, and it's a massive accolade <laughs> to win one. So to win all three really is the pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was good, and I think the following year we we won it again, and, and possibly pay it again. I think we're the only people to win the interbreed, the individual two years running, and wow. uh, yeah. So we we just we had an awful good relationship with the show, and still do. Obviously, we've missed it badly this last two years, yeah. but. Uh, as a family and, and and the people involved and the the top top men and women who organised the sheep section, it's it was very good to us. And yeah, so I suppose between that and the, the first time of winning the big one at the Highland, that that meant a huge amount. That was, you know, really did mean something. Yeah, brilliant. And, and, and it is a special show, as you say. And going and going back then to your father, he he then ventured into other breeds, got into Suffolk, got into Texels, and so started to diversify a little bit. That would still be before your time, I guess, Gregor. Roughly when was that, do you know? Well, no, I, I would remember Bruce and I would be involved with with the kind of everything that's happened post-Charlie's. Um, Dad had a, a Suffolk flock originally, and then the foot and mouth year, um, there's a family that were taken out in foot and mouth, sadly, and they, they bought our entire Suffolk flock, so we had an original Suffolk flock, um, and then we've gone back into Suffolk again yeah. since then. So I've been back in for 10 to 12, well, about 12 years. And so I would know that flock from the start. So uh, I think the Texels would have been 
Texas have been 22 years we've had them. Suffolk have been more like 12, 13 years. Um, and uh, and then our, our composite breeding programs have all been roughly between, you know, around about 15 years, plus or minus on some of them. Let's go into a bit more detail and we'll, we'll come back to the, to the individual breeds in a minute. But you, you know, the business has grown exponentially during that time. And how many ewes do you run now? Hey, well, well, last year we kept four and a half thousand ewes to go to the to the rams. Obviously, they didn't all hold, but that was you know the the, the aim to lambs. So uh, yeah, no, it, it's grown from uh, I think when I was a little boy, um, we would have had probably about 150 ewes, um, and not farming in and not farming just an awful lot of ground. Uh, and you know, now we're we're yeah we're a good bit bigger than that. So it's it's, it's been quite a steep up uphill. Um, yeah. It's a phenomenal operation, and, and uh, you'd be one of the biggest pedigree breeders probably in Europe. Most of these animals are pedigrees. But the operation has an element of uniqueness, really, in that you've developed, as you just mentioned, a hybrid uh, composite breed, such as the as the Derno, for instance. Tell me a bit more about the Derno breed. Yeah, well, the Derno was the first composite line we did, uh, and that would be stretching back all of 20 years, I would think, roughly. Um, and, it, and it really came from from owning both Charlies and Texels. And I suppose because because dad and, and the family have always been reliant on, you know, sheep as our business, we didn't really have another another thing to make, you know, money from uh, really uh, with the farm anyway, that um, it was almost just us being honest and saying, you know, although we're Charlie and Texel men and we will, you know, push them and advertise them and tell, tell people about them as hard as we can. It was being honest and going, at the time, anyway, neither of these breeds are, are perfect, if we're being honest. And in seeing the opportunity, that if you put the two of them together, they almost want one breed's fault is the other one's positive. And, and, and seeing how they could be put together and, and really almost trial and error, just the first year going, OK, let's, let's put some really good ones from either flock together. And then I remember the first year of lambs and going, wow, this is this is special. I mean, they're, they're a tremendous sheep and getting excited about it and then just... I suppose learning and looking into composite breeding, looking to other countries and working out, you know, what's the actual science behind it, and then and then it becoming probably a, a bigger breed and more successful than we ever intended the first year we did it. Uh, so it, yeah, it's quite a success story, really. And, and would you call that a breeding? I know the Americans are big into the composites, and uh, but would you call that a breed in its own right? Uh, um, were there other people breeding Derno sheep, or is this just something that this is just you a straight cross of one breed to another? No, well, we like our our family have the the patent or the you know like the intellectual protection for the for the name, and I suppose the you know anybody and a lot of people do do that first a cross or hybrid if you like composite of Charlie and Tex. So I suppose what what makes the Derno you know individual or, or or special or for what it is is the fact that it's the twenty years of of breeding that have gone with it because. I would now classify the Derno as a pure breed. There's not a pedigree society, so you wouldn't call them pedigree, but in our eyes, they're a pure breed. In order to get to, um, our customers to get hybrid vigor in their lambs, then they really they need to be as stabilized and, and pure as possible. So there's no no crossing between Charlies and Texels has happened in at least probably 13, 14 years. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, interesting is the word. It must be very difficult to keep the balance between those. Didn't you recently introduce the Beltex into that mix as well, or do you you run a flock of pure Beltex anyway? Don't you? Yeah, well, I think I suppose like one of the big things with our business over the years has been we we really do try and think as a I suppose as a business um, as opposed to 
to to you know to just sheep farmers really you know and we looked at what we're doing with with ram selling it and you know we, we have like our own farm sale and different other avenues that we sell in and and we realized that there was a market for sheep that were more extreme again so we had the derno and you'd say well that produces you know very good uh, you know carcass lambs and lambs for meat but there was a need in the market for that next step so we've almost tried to have like a system where we've got we've got what we've got nine breeds now and basically each one has their place and they're almost you know stratified across of all extremes of, of sheep farming so so basically the idea with the Baltex derno was to to offer people, you know, if, if you like the Derno, but you want to be more extreme with muscling, then this is the option here we have for you. So that's phenomenal. phenomenal. That's you have a breed one, called yeah. the Logie as well, which, of course, is the other half of that. That's the female side of it, I guess. Yeah. So we, we've got like two two flagship breeds, as you, as you would call them. You know, that they, I suppose a lot of our experience with what we're doing, it, it, comes, it comes actually from watching pig companies and what they've done in a similar situation, taking parent you know pedigree stock and creating lines from it so that the flagships are the, the logie which is what you'd call your maternal line for producing females and then the the derno is the meat sire so yeah the, the logie is a composite a three-way the original composite is a three-way split between a thleen charlie and texel um so almost like an improved thleen so a bit bigger a bit longer a bit tighter skin but still kind of coming off you know what's good about the original welsh breed which is that they're a uh, low input and and they'll do it all off a of grass and that they milk well and um yeah so that's kind of if our customers are looking to breed their own females we're, we're putting them that way and if they're wanting to produce meat then we put them the other way wow okay but it sounds quite complicated and the whole selection process of course must be very complicated now you guys must have some pretty serious uh, intricate recording systems to uh to to, to especially running this number of breeds and, and crossing them as well. Yeah, no, we do. We do. Um, you know, we, we treat our, our new breeds or our, our own breeds as seriously as we do the pedigree breeds. And if anything, I suppose, because we've, we've you know, dad was involved with pedigree sheep all his life, you know, all his farming life, pretty much. Um, it, uh, you know, we've, we've learned a lot from that. We, we performance record everything through Signet. So we're weighing, bat fat scanning, um, recording data on the use and, like that's that's quite critical you know you have, you have to be honest with yourself because you know you can say oh well you know they all lambed okay or they all they're all fantastic but that doesn't really help you to to get better so um yeah no there's a, a huge amount of recording and um yeah that's as was that's really where bruce would manage a lot of that in the business and he's uh He's the one that's that's really got the flair for that for that side of things. Okay, <laughs> I don't envy his job at all. I used to be in that myself, and it's not an easy job recording all these these different animals, especially when you take it down to the nuts and bolts of the of the weight recording as well. And uh, just going back, you mentioned Suffolk. Sir, you say you run your Suffolk as an easy care sheep. Your Suffolk's are huge. How, how, how have you got some New Zealand um, Suffolk's in amongst that lot for the easy care side of it? Yes, the idea behind the Summix was obviously, as I said, Dad was in Summix a long time ago, and then they, we kind of thought we quite fancy going back into them again. But it was a very, we had a very specific game plan in mind. We had no real uh, illusions of winning the shows or, or doing well at the pedigree sales. I think we we had a business that that you know sold a lot of commercial rams, and what we really wanted was to produce a commercial suffix that we thought ticked all the boxes. So again, just was being honest with ourselves and saying, you know, genuinely 
what what would this breed be for you know for the type of use they go on to and what they're trying to achieve with them so uh yeah the original flock was from uh we went down to hans porkson uh, in northumberland and we basically managed to to strike a deal with him that we could get the pick of his shearling ewe flock of that year uh which was you know, really good a uh, chance at, at getting a good start. We bought from him, and then over the years we've bought rams from other breeders who we, you know, we we think they are trying to do the same thing as us. And there's a bit of New Zealand blood in there. There's there's a bit of British. It, it bounces back and forth. Ultimately, we're just trying to find that that sweet spot where uh, we almost call them like a you know almost like a black Charlie. You know, like they're they're big and tall and long and huge amount of growth rate, but but the bones are quite light and. Uh, that lovely black silky hair if you want to put them onto a mule and just just you know a nice a nice well balanced sheep is really what we're aiming for so so there is there's a bit of new zealand but there's not a specific format we don't say well it's 50 percent new zealand 50 percent british it's a some of the rams we've used in the past would be like you know say seven eighths british and, and you know one eighth a uh, oh. new zealand and i think it a touch of new zealand in there manages to just take a wee bit of the weight out of the bone without without going too far, you know, the other way, you know, to a breed that was selected for a totally different country and continent and market. And, um, yeah, so it's just, just a bit of both. Certainly, totally a, a long way from what the, the, the Suffolk in Aberdeenshire had a reputation for going back the way. And let's just move on to, to some numbers, uh, Gregor. How many rams do you actually sell each year and what sort of percentages of, of each breed? Hey, well, last year we sold 860. Wow. Um, and uh, I suppose we the game plan is to produce what we think we can market you know we don't we're not say you know expanding you know so much that we're finding you know we've got a lot of wastage where we just think well realistically uh you know what is the demand you know is there is there more demand you know from for our from us for you know for example texels and if there is let's you know attempt to try and breed more good ones and and if we think that another breed is at the right kind of level then we'll we'll stick at the same number so uh I suppose like the Logies and the Dernos, they would be, they would take up, you know, almost like 40% of the rams that we sell just between those two breeds there, the two big ones. Um, and then I would say between the, the probably like the Charlies, Texels and Suffolks uh, and uh, the Beltex Crosses, that'd be another 40%. And then, you know, like the 20 in the middle would be between, we've got the Frontiers, which are another maternal line. And, you know, I suppose we've, we've got some other stuff. We've got some soft texts and things like that that would make up the last bit as well, sure. yeah. Sure, great. And, and uh, you sell a lot of rams off-farm and you've been holding an on-farm sale now for, for a good few years, I think. And folks will travel a long way to your sale, I think. It's, it's a big event. Yeah, well, last year was the 15th a annual on-farm sale, so this will be the 16th this year. Um, and, yeah, we this last two, three years now, we've had 350 rams in the sale live for people to see and bid on and then we we still support some of the big you know traditional well-known sales that in almost as a shop window really a, you know the same as what the highland show is we'd put in a pen so we can meet people and get the breeds out there you know and uh, enjoy the, sh the sales as well because you know, you know yourself like so you know kelso and bilth are fantastic sales with, with great people and a lot of history and you know very enjoyable so sure. we 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 do some sales, but the, the bulk of the sheep now we, we sell a uh, privately either through the sale or or with with people getting in contact with us. And I suppose that's just about building you know good strong relationships with commercial farmers uh, throughout the UK. 
You certainly are a marketeer, Gregor, I can hear that. And the, uh, obviously last year, the COVID threw a spanner in the works, which were all of us, and uh, with regards to live sales anyway, but you embraced that, didn't you? Sort of online sales and social media and uh, yeah, the, whole, the whole business has changed, hasn't it? And, and maybe it'll stay that way now. Yeah, I think like, to be honest, like it, it, everybody in farming, you know, when, when COVID, you know, first hit, you know, we were all thinking, are we going to be allowed to have, you know, deliveries come in? You know, are we, you know, what is going to happen? You know, is this, you know, this the initial lockdown when it came out, you know, we none of us knew how serious it was going to be. And I suppose we we're all worried. But um, yeah, I think really when it came to light that sales are going to struggle to happen and that people are going to be trading, you know, off their own backs, I suppose we kind of thought, God, this is, you know, it's our bread and butter really is, is, is selling privately. So if anything, we had... You know, like we had a fantastic year and, and it was kind of almost business as usual. If anything, we were at slightly less sales so that, you know, there wasn't the same work of traveling, you know, to to specific sales. So, so no, it actually, it, you know, it went really well. And, and I think the positive thing is that I think it went really well for a lot of ram breeders. You know, there's a lot of people that, that sold privately and, and enjoyed it and, and did well. So I think, you know, if anything, as an industry, you know, the, the, the sheep job in general was was you know, really, really positive uh, last year. So, yeah, no, yeah. I think it was, it went well. Indeed, and, and I've spoke, we've spoken to quite a few other um, top producers on this podcast, and they say the same, that if you've got repeat customers who trust the brand, and obviously Logie Dono is a brand, and, and who trust the brand, they'll probably phone you up and say, send us six sheep down without even, without even questioning that you'll send them the right ones. Yeah, that's just exactly what we're all about, to be honest. We, the, the, the bulk of the rams that we shift are, people that we've we've created a relationship with and and, and got to know and, and they put trust in us and, and they'll basically phone us and say hey, you know I'd like to top this use with this this type of tops this year this with this and they'll say I want two of them one of them and three of them and that that should do me and then the next year we'll maybe phone them and they'll say everybody's living no injuries we're all good well we don't need this year and and they'll come back the next year but uh, yeah it's just um I suppose it's just about supplying that to the right product with with the service where you're you know you're there to help out and to give advice and to you know to try and you're all working towards that person doing well if you know what I mean you actually hit that on the head it is a service isn't it as well as just a sale yeah let's just go back to the pedigrees a little bit there the Charolais I suppose it, it's, it's a, still a flagship Logie Derno and what sort of which tops would have which animals would have influenced the Charolais uh, yours uh, breeds at uh, Logie Derno hey there's two well, probably three, um, three that really spring to mind. This last, you know, it's certainly in my time anyway. Um, the first would have been a, a ram called Crogham Hannibal, um, and he was bought. Um, you know, this is we're going back twelve years, probably at least, uh, roughly. Han- Hannibal was a ram that bred a phenomenally well. He he bred better than he looked. He he just seemed to just click with our flock um, and. Like the figures are well, he was the sire of I'm your man. That was our first big interbreed champion, the one at the Highland. And they, I mean, he the sale stock he bred, and and right from you know pedigree level right through to having pens of of yearling rams at both you know maybe 30, 40 Charlotte yearling rams, and every one being over a thousand pounds because they were just you know beasts. So uh, yeah, Han- Hannibal was great. Uh, more recently, Radar Orlando. From Mifer Evans in, in Wales, he he was a different type of sheep, but, but an enormous carcass, uh, almost like a big Beltex. He was he was a great breeding sheep. Um, and then and then 
very recently, a Fox Hill Vavavoom that we purchased last year. He's his first year out the gate. He's he's bred some tremendous sheep. And I saw Vavavoom at the Highland, and a great sheep he was. But you guys have ventured into a flock of your own under the Lone Head prefix, and and why why was that? Did you start with different bloodlines, and is this competition with with the Logie Derno flock? No, we just um, we just fancied having another flock. I think it was at the time where Bruce and I first came into the, you know, came into the business, and uh, I suppose we were just thinking that it, you know it wouldn't hurt, you know, for you know for final plans with the business, you know, to have two flocks and to to potentially go down different lines. So we did, yeah, we bought a <clears throat> we bought a ram called a Fluid Lord of, Lord of the Rings from Dowie Evans. He was bought at Bilf, and he was used exclusively in the Lone Head flock the first year. Um, so that there there would be a subtle difference in the breeding going right back. Uh, however, we do use the same rams now between the two flocks. And a similar type of sheep in both flocks, or have you gone a slightly different direction with the breed? No, we we do have the same like the same outlook on the breed, but there there is definitely there is definitely different breeding in the two flocks. Like at the, this probably this last two three years, the lone head one's been having more of the success. At, at the, you sometimes find, you know, especially when you're doing embryo work, you'll you'll maybe just click on there's there's a certain sheep that's just that's just really breeding well, and I think you know uh, probably this last couple of years, Lone Head has had you know as good if not better averages than Logie Derno, mm-hmm. but um, you know really really you know it, it would it would just depend on how you know what happens on the year we, because we use the same rams and no they are they are relatively similar flocks. Okay, um, and. And the the Vavavoom that you mentioned, I think you paid sixteen thousand for him, and then you bought another one. And was he not um, off one of your tops? He was off a loan in top, was that right? Yeah, the the Vavavoom was. He was off of a ram that we sold privately to to Mike and Melanie Alford um, called Triathlon. Uh, he missed the premier sale I his year because um, he had gotten a little injury on the on the trimming stand getting ready for the sale. He had a you know, just got a little scratch on his face. And um, so, yeah, we, we sold him privately after the sale, but he was a really special top. And we knew that if they came back with something good out of that ram, then we would, we would be very interested in buying it. I suppose so, it opens a question where I'm going is, is, is obviously you, that signifies that you might be breeding quite close there. And is that something that you've used to to, to type your sheep by breeding them in, breeding, getting the inbreeding coefficients up? No, not at all. No, no, it's not something that we quantify at all in the business or actively think about. Um, we just, you know, our game plan with the Charlies is to to go out and try and secure the best male genetics in the breed every year. That that's the the, ba- the basics of the of the flock is try and get what we think is the best top every year to keep keep it fresh. We sell quite a lot of breeding females to. To some really loyal customers throughout the UK and and into to mainland Europe, and they don't want to buy the same sheep twice. They want to buy a new genetics so that they can, you know, use a, a previously kept top lamb or or you know do something with their own sheep. They can't just buy the same breeding every year. Okay. So we, you know, we go out and we try and buy what we think is the best, the best sheep or or whatever we are fit to buy. You know, the best, the best that we can buy in it. It just happens to be that with 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 Vavavoom, it was a case of you know our own genetics were getting bought back, so we had to be obviously check through and be careful that we weren't crossing through. But no, we we don't line breed or or you know if yeah. anything we'd stay away from it okay. once we had bought the ram. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and you lads run obviously the lonehead flock on its own. Do you run other flocks under your own prefix as well? Or just the Charlie. 
Yeah, we've got we've also got a Texel flock of our own as well. Um, the granite flock. Uh, I think the idea behind that was more that uh, the pedigree Charlies and the commercial Charlies are really you know roughly the same animal. Um, with with the Texels because the shorelines are so sharp and so smart. Um, if anything, you know, our Texel flock was 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 very commercially driven. That you know a bit plainer of the head and and. You know, probably more of a fixation on on the carcass and on the body. Um, so really, we wanted to start selling some shearlings at sales again, and th- those would be the ones that would be that bit smarter and that and you know slightly more shoring driven. Mm. So we basically we started a new flock just you know to kind of I suppose highlight the difference that that granite texels are you know a pen of sheep that are at Bilf or you know potentially going forward in the future at Kelso, which are smart you know, smarter kind of almost breeder sheep, whereas the, the Logie Derno flock is very much um, sheep that are sold privately to commercial farmers. Sure, sure. Now you say uh, um, almost breeder sheep. I think, didn't you get 13,000 for a gimmer last year? So uh, that's that's definitely a breeder sheep. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. Like, I think, I think our focus with our Texel operation is that we were trying to breed a good skin, top line correctness, Good confirmation and a nice head, you know, like a, it's it's got a, a smart head, but not really. There's none of our selection on farm that is, is ever really based on head with Texel. So I think now and again we'll land, we'll breed a re, you know a really smart sheep, and that's fine. They'll be sold at a sale, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the commercial rams are kind of really what we do with the Texels. Um, you did buy a um, a breeder's Texel sheep when you bought Alan Ford, I'm your man, and was he 24,000, I think you got a share of him, didn't you? Yeah, well, we do. We do like like. Although I say we're we're you know we're we're very commercially driven. We we every stock ram we buy is from a is from a breeder's flock. Um, we're just going through and looking for the the traits that we want. So uh, the Alan Ford ram that we that we bought in partnership. I mean, his his carcass was phenomenal. He he commercially was a tremendous sheep uh, and he bred very very well very smart great skin huge carcass um and we've bought other other rams again from notable breeders a uh, but devonvale warrior again you know from one of your top pedigree men and they he again he you know we just went through every sheep at the sale and he was a he was a monster of a lamb um huge great great top line and he, he had lovely lovely white hair and, and you know very smart very upright with his head up in the air and yeah so so most of our arms that we buy would be from would be from like your premier sale sure. um sure. We, uh, just, we just choose to sell her as private really really um that's, you know that's still the way to do it it's certainly a lot easier to not easy to sell them at home but certainly uh financially better if you could rather than putting them off to the sales and i've seen that you've got blue lesters as well under under the are they under the do you know prefix too? Yeah, no, we do. No, that was again, uh, I suppose, going way back, we just looked at what we're doing. And I think there was people coming to the farm sale and, and they were buying, you know, coming to pick up, say, a, or just coming to us privately and they had a trailer and they were picking up, you know, like a Suffolk and a Texel. And they, they were doing it specifically on the day of a sale because they were going to go to that sale and, and buy a, a Blueface Lester. And we just thought, well, we'd be as well, you know, reading some of them and, and hopefully we can have our clients buy them all from us so uh uh-huh. yeah no we started a load a bluefish lesser flock a while ago now um i can't remember exactly how long we've had them but it would be it would be going on for 
almost 10 years, I would think. Um, I know we've had a bit of success then. We were up to, sold the Shuling Ram at Bill Swells. Uh, the main Ram sales five, six years ago, he was 4,400 we sold him for. Do they get involved in your crossing program as well, in the female side of it? Yeah, no, we have done. Yeah, we've the the Logie, the the maternal breed. We've done we've done a bit with them with the with the blue face Leicester to almost um, you know, create this Logie mule you know type idea where it would the idea behind them would be a female for for selling you know something that's that's really smart with yeah. the, with their ears up and and you know looking good. So again, just adding another variation to what we do that um, you know if you've potentially got people with, for instance you know, blackies or cheviots or, or some sort of hill type sheep, you could put them on and have the really, you know, smart, straight backed, um, you know, female to sell off of them. So that, that was the idea with that. Yeah. You can actually see how they would fit into that. Yes. And and you must do a lot of ET work. How many use do you, do you flush each year? Do, yeah, we do quite a big ET work, obviously, between, you know, so many different breeds and, and things like that. But uh, no, around about 100 use, yeah. You flush 100 use? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And let's move on to the export market. You touched on it briefly that you put some into mainland Europe, but but uh, I know you sell semen all over the world as well. How's that been? How's Brexit? Has that made it more difficult to get to, to get sheep over the water now? Yeah. Well, I mean, last year uh, we did a big big export to to Germany to to a man that we deal with a lot, and um, you know we put, we put a, over you know like a lorry load of of pedigree sheep of all different types of breeds and 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 also some of our composites to go and breed into Germany and be sold throughout that that kind of that part of Europe. Um, at the moment this year, there's there's no real exit point to to live export sheep out of mainland UK. So we're just gonna you know wait patiently with everybody else and see see what comes up. You know see what they um, manage to make in a deal. Uh, so we have we have orders for sheep to go to to mainland Europe again, and uh, you know we'll be waiting, um, waiting to see. And that's obviously a reaction to Brexit. There is there is genetics that say uh, that will hopefully be sold this year um, to, to South America, and and you know it's something we've been involved with the the last you know ten years, I suppose, is selling both semen and embryos um, to customers in other countries who are trying to to bring in new lines or, or improve what they're doing. Certainly is a demand, isn't there, for embryos? I know we spoke to Jack Buckle a week or two ago and he said he'd shifted a couple of hundred Beltex embryos into New Zealand. There certainly is a worldwide demand for these and I guess you'll have frozen embryos in the tank that that's uh, ready to trade. Yeah, no, well, that's it. I mean, it, it, it's quite, it's a, it's a long process the, to do the export and you you have to be, you know, prepared to, to, to do a lot of paperwork and, and do a lot of, you know, vet work. Um, so yeah, you you would have to you have to collect the embryos in in isolation under export conditions. So yeah, you would if you if you want to go down that line, obviously you have to they have the embryos have to be have to be removed in in the right conditions. But no, we do we are part of programs here and there to do that. Yeah, uh, and uh, the sheep numbers have been generally in decline in the UK over the last twenty years. Yet you guys have just grown exponentially. Um, by being a specialised business, do you think that's how the, the livestock business is going to move on in, in the future? We people getting more specialised in in certain areas. Yeah, I suppose um, we've we've just gotten a yeah, ever so slightly bigger piece of the pie now. Like it, um, you're right. I mean, the sheep numbers are dropping, and I think commercial farmers are looking a lot more into what can they do to get more money from less sheep or or more money from less acres mm-hmm. would be the the correct term. So. I suppose before when 
you know, people are saying, well, this is the type of cup, you know, we use because that's what we've always done here and that's it. People are now, you know, genetics are a part of their, how do we do better, you know? So as well as looking at, you know, fertilizer and seed and, and how can we improve the farming, they're looking at genetics because, you know, in all types of farming, it's hard work and, and you know, the, I don't think that the lamb price has really, you know, followed, followed the inflation rate over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it, has, it hasn't grown alongside input costs. So people are having to say, well, if we had X amount of kilos coming off an acre of land before, we need to be doing double that or we need to be, you know, no. we need to be doing half as much again. And yeah, so that's, um, I think that's why, because we focused, you know, heavily on that, that's why, you know, we're selling more tops and then there's like eight or 10 at least other people in the UK that are doing a similar type of thing to us yeah. and yeah. they've all expanded very quickly as well but then it's not for the faint-hearted either because obviously it's a lot of work and it, you dedicate your life almost to to you know to like the ram genetics because it's it's not something you can just dip in and out of it say like it's quite hard work so um long-term investment and long-term building and as you said it is a, it would be a lot of work and i think a lot of our listeners would be listening to this thinking with with nine different breeds of pedigree sheep uh, um four and a half thousand of them you must have a hell of a long lambing season there gregor yeah, yeah, no, it's brutal. It is, it is absolutely brutal. Um, we'd be the the Charlotte's will start off just in early December, um, and then we'll have you know probably like repeats, um, you know, from the pure yows. They'll be lambing round about Christmas time, and then we'll be into February lambing for Texel, Suffolk, uh, and Blueface Leicesters, and and now Bell Texas since we've gone into them, and then our own breeds lamb third week of march onwards for any any embryo work or ai work and then the natural use lambing behind that in april and then at the start of may we kick off with the the logie breeds so uh, this year we had over three thousand yows lambed outside as of start of may so really start of december till till mid-may is lambing time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. view on that one and, and obviously we've got back to the shows a little bit now and it must be nice to get back to normality but uh, I guess your season is just really starting your harvest season now you'll be starting to shift tops away from now right through to for sure yeah, yeah. and with, uh, that that's us just kind of started to shift rams now so we really for the private sales part of the business we we're collecting orders all the time sheep don't normally start getting delivered until end of August a uh, mid into mid-september because that's when people want to get them home um so at the moment we're collecting orders and and working out you know what the, the demand is on each breed and then obviously we've got sales so we've had the Worcester charlotte sale um we'll have a couple of texel sales coming up and then kelso welshpool Bilthwells, bentham um will be the ram sales we're going to go to uh, out with home and then our own on-farm sale which is on the 21st of august good the saturday mm-hmm. and, and then of course you'll have female sales coming into the back end too because it's not just tops you're producing you'll equally sell as many if not more females on a lot of those go from home as well yeah no they do no we, we, we do as much as we can from home um the the females more so we, we do a tremendous amount of females from home the, the only really female sales we would go to would be we have a, a joint um a charlie female sale called the saucy sale which is in uh, a october uh and that's with um a couple of other breeders so we would normally have charlie's there and last year we put a couple of texels to the wooster a pedigree texel society texel sale mm-hmm. and apart from that we try and shift everything we can privately so that was i suppose that was the for the texels anyway that was the two 
the two best ones that were offered for sale went there and then everything else was sold privately um, behind that. And will you sell a lot of in-land use as well? Uh, yeah, we do. Um, if anything, we, I suppose, like, people will get in contact with us reasonably early on in the summer. So a lot of them would just be sold, uh, you know, empty as they are. And then the people would try to get them home in quite good time to get them home and used to their own farm so that they can settle them in to, to getting in lamb. But there, there is some people that would, would request to us if, the, if they're maybe buying, say, a, a, you know, a small group of pedigree texels that they would say is it okay if we get them, you know, mated to, to a specific sheep as well. But yeah, no, a lot, a lot of them are, a lot of them are sold empty actually. Yeah, and obviously you'd kill a lot of lambs as well. I mean, I assume you'd kill a lot of lambs. I don't know. You'll have some, some, some that go to the butcher. Where, where do you shift those to? Yeah, so we we are very, um, you know, dedicated uh, producers for Morrison's supermarkets. That they're all going to Woodhead Brothers at Turriff. Um So apart from anything which which for some reason has gone out with spec, uh, you know, too heavy. Every every lamb for for meat that we produce goes to Morrison's. Right. So um, I can't remember the exact figures off the top of my head for 2020, but it would be, be around about that 2,000, two and a half thousand lambs would have gone would have gone through them, uh, and we get on really well with them. And it, it's not far from home, so it's it's good for the welfare aspect of it. And yeah, it um, uh, we're quite happy to be doing that. And you mentioned earlier on that the price of lamb hasn't kept up with. The- but certainly been a better year this year, I assume, which uh, all helps considering the mess we thought we were going to be in. Yeah, well, I feel like I feel like Morrison's are actually they're always very fair with their pricing, and it and it does reflect, you know, the 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 peaks of when the price goes up, and it, and it doesn't drop just quite as hard as as sometimes you know the the market the live market can do. Um, but uh, yeah. It is quite funny when you speak to some some of the the previous generation about what they were getting, and you think, God, you know, if you look at like you know the price of a car and what it's done, and then you look at the price of the of the slaughter lambs, they they haven't really you know kept up with inflation or, or increased you know as much as they should have done. I don't think any farm produce has. Been. I remember selling barley in nineteen seventy three yeah. for hundred pounds a ton. I mean that's fifty odd years ago, and it's still. A great deal more. Gregor, it's been great to talk to you. I've uh, I've really appreciated that, and I know our listeners will do as well. And I know you're such a busy fella. I really great that we managed to get to you know, 45 minutes of your time there. But um, I better let you get back to doing what what you do best. Uh, please please say hi to your your mother and father from me, and uh, and thanks very much for your time, Gregor. Okay, well, thank you very much, Andy. It's been great to be a part of. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.